0: Chapter Two of the Tavern Knight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Rick Cornwall. The Tavern Knight by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter Two Arcades Ambo. Towards midnight at last, Sir Crispin flung down his cards and rose it was close upon an hour and a half since hogan's advent in the streets the sounds had gradually died down and peace seemed to reign again in penrith yet was sir crispin cautious for to be cautious and mistrustful of appearances was the lesson life had taught him master Stewart said he it grows late and i doubt me you would be abed give you good-night the lad rose a moment he paused hesitating then to-morrow sir crispin he began but Crispin cut him short. Leave to-morrow till at dawn, my friend. Give you good night. Take one of those noisome tapers with you and go. In sullen silence the boy took up one of the candle-bearing bottles and passed out through the door leading to the stairs. For a moment Crispin remained standing by the table, and in that moment the expression of his face was softened. A momentary regret of his treatment of the boy stirred in him. Master Stewart might be a milksop, but Crispin accounted him leastwise honest, and had a kindness for him in spite of all. He crossed to the window, and throwing it wide, he leaned out, as if to breathe the cool night air. What time he hummed the refrain of rub-a-dub-dub, for the edification of any chance listeners. For a half hour he lingered there, and for all that he used the occasion to let his mind stray over many a theme. His eyes were alert for the least movement among the shadows of the street reassured at last that the house was no longer being watched he drew back and closed the latest upstairs he found the irishman sitting in dejection upon his bed awaiting him soul of my body cried hogan ruefully i was never nearer being afraid in my life crispin laughed softly for an answer and besought of him the tale of what had passed tis simple enough faith said hogan coolly the landlord of the angel hath a daughter maybe twas after her he named his inn who owns a pair of the most seductive eyes that ever a man saw perdition in she hath moreover a taste for dalliance and my brave looks and martial trappings did for her what her bold eyes had done for me we were becoming the sweetest friends when like an incarnate fiend that loudish clown her lover sweeps down upon us and with more jealousy than wit struck me struck me harry hogan soul of my body think of it chris and he drew red with anger at the recollection i took him by the collar of his mean smock and flung him into the kennel the fittest bed he ever lay in had he remained there it had been well for him but the fool accounting himself affronted came up to demand satisfaction i gave it to him and plague on it he's dead an ugly tale was Crispin's sour comment ugly maybe returned hogan spreading out his palms but what choice had i the fool came at me bilbo in hand and i was forced to draw but not to slay hogan. twas an accident sink me it was i sought his sword-arm but the light was bad and my point went through his chest instead for a moment crispin stood frowning then his brow cleared as though he had put the matter from him well well since he's dead there's an end to it heaven rest his soul muttered the irishman crossing himself piously and with that he dismissed the subject of the great wrong that through folly he had wrought the wanton destruction of a man's life and the poisoning of a woman with remorse that might be everlasting it will tax our wits to get you out of penrith said crispin then turning and looking into the irishman's great good-humoured face i am sorry you leave us hogan he added not so am i quoth hogan with a shrug such a march as this is little to my taste bah charles stuart or oliver cromwell tis all one to me what care i whether king or commonwealth prevail shall harry hogan be the better or the richer under one man than under the other odds life chris i have trailed a pike or handled a sword and well nigh every army in europe i know more of the great art of war than all the king's generals rolled into one think you then i can rest content with a miserable company of horse when plunder is forbidden and even our beggarly pay doubtful whilst should things go ill as well they may faith with an army ruled by parsons the wage will be a swift death on a field or gallows or a lingering one in the plantations as felt to a lot of those poor wretches snow drove into england after dunbar soul of my body it is not thus that i had looked to fare when i took service at perth i had looked for plunder rich and plentiful plunder according to the usages of warfare as a fitting reward for a toilsome march and the perils gone through thus i know war and for this i have followed the trade these twenty years instead we have thirty thousand men marching to battle as prim and orderly as a parcel of acolytes in a corpus christi procession twas not so bad in scotland happily because the country holds not a man may profitably plunder but since we have crossed the border Slife. they'll hang you if you steal so much as a kiss from a wench in passing why true laughed crispin the second charles hath an over-tender stomach he will not allow that we are marching through an enemy's country he insists that england is his kingdom forgetting that he is yet to conquer it and was it not also his father's kingdom broke in the impetuous hogan yet times are sorely changed since we followed the fortunes of the martyr in those days you might help yourself to a capon a horse a wench or any other trifle of the enemies, without ever a word of censure or a question asked. Why, man, it is but two days since His Majesty had a poor devil hanged at Kendall for laying violent hands upon a pullet. Pox on it, Chris! My gorge rises at the thought. When I saw that wretch strung up, I swore to fall behind at the earliest opportunity, and to-night's affair makes this imperative." "'And what may your plans be?' asked Crispin. War is my trade, not a diversion, as it is with Wilmot and Buckingham and the other pretty gentlemen of our train; and since the king's army is like to yield me no profit, faith, I'll turn me to the parliaments. If I get out of Penrith with my life, I'll shave my beard and cut my hair to a comely and godly length, don a cockadotal steeple hat and a black coat, and carry my sword to Cromwell with a line of text. Sir Crispin fell to pondering noting this and imagining that he guessed aright the reason i take it chris he put in keenly glancing at the other that you are much of my mind maybe i am replied crispin carelessly why then cried hogan need we part company there was a sudden eagerness in his tone born of the admiration in which this rough soldier of fortune held one whom he accounted his better in that same harsh trade but galliard answered coldly you forget, Harry. Not so. Surely on Cromwell's side your object— Shh! I have well considered. My fortunes are bound up with the King's. In his victory alone lies profit for me—not the profit of pillage, Hogan, but the profit of these broad lands that for nigh upon twenty years have been in usurping hands. The profit I look for, Hogan, is my restoration to Castle Marley, and of this my only hope lies in the restoration of King Charles if the king doth not prevail which god forfend why then i can but die i shall have naught left to hope for from life so you see good hogan he ended with a regretful smile my going with you is not to be dreamed of still the irishman urged him and a good half hour did he devote to it but in vain realizing at last the futility of his endeavors he sighed and moved uneasily in his chair whilst the broad, tan face was clouded with regret. Crispin saw this, and approaching him he laid a hand upon his shoulder. I had counted upon your help to clear the ashburns from Castle Marley, and to aid me in my grim work when the time is ripe. But if you go, Faith, I may aid you yet. Who shall say? Then of a sudden there crept into the voice of this hardened pike-trader a note of soft concern think you there be danger to yourself in remaining he inquired danger to me echoed crispin ay for having harboured me that whelp of montgomery's foot suspects you suspects am i a man of straw to be overset by a breath of suspicion there is your lieutenant kenneth stuart who has been a party to your escape and whose only course is therefore silence lest he set a noose about his own neck "'Come, Harry,' he added briskly, changing his manner. "'The night wears on, and we have your safety to think of.' Hogan rose with a sigh. "'Give me a horse,' said he, "'and by God's grace to-morrow shall find me in Cromwell's camp. "'Heaven prosper and reward you, Chris. "'We must find you clothes more fitting than these, "'a coat more staid and better attuned to the Puritan part you are to play. "'Where have you such a coat?' "'My lieutenant has.' He affects the godly black, from a habit taken in that Presbyterian Scotland of his. But I'm twice his bulk. Better a tight coat to your back than a tight rope to your neck, Harry. Wait. Taking a taper, he left the room, to return a moment later with the coat that Kenneth had worn that day, and which he had abstracted from the sleeping lad's chamber. Off with your doublet, he commanded, and as he spoke he set himself to empty the pocket of Kenneth's garment a handkerchief, and a few papers he found in them, and these he tossed carelessly on the bed. Next he assisted the Irishman to struggle into the stolen coat. "'May the Lord forgive my sins,' groaned Hogan, as he felt the cloth straining upon his back and cramping his limbs. "'May he forgive me and see me safely out of Penrith and into Cromwell's camp, and never again will I resent the resentment of a clown whose sweetheart I have made too free with.' "'Pluck that feather from your hat,' said Crispin. Hogan obeyed him with a sigh. "'Truly it is written in Scripture that man in his time plays many parts. Who would have thought to see Harry Hogan playing the Puritan?' "'Unless you improve your acquaintance with Scripture, you're not likely to play it long,' laughed Crispin, as he surveyed him. "'There, man, you'll do well enough. Your coat is somewhat tight in the back, somewhat short in the skirt.' BUT NEITHER SO TIGHT NOR SO SHORT, BUT THAT IT MAY BE PREFERRED TO A WINDING SHEET. AND THAT IS THE ALTERNATIVE, HARRY. HOGAN REPLIED BY ROUNDLY CURSING THE COAT IN HIS OWN LUCKLESSNESS. THAT DONE, AND IN NO MEASURED TERMS, HE PRONOUNCED HIMSELF READY TO SET OUT, WHEREUPON CRISPIN LED THE WAY BELOW ONCE MORE, AND OUT INTO A HUT THAT DID SERVICE AS A STABLE. BY THE LIGHT OF A LANTHORN HE SADDLED ONE OF THE TWO NAGS THAT STOOD THERE, AND LED IT INTO THE YARD. Opening the door that abutted on to a field beyond, he bade Hogan mount. He held his stirrup for him, and cutting short the Irishman's voluble expressions of gratitude, he gave him God speed and urged him to use all dispatch in sending as great a distance as possible betwixt himself and Penrith before the dawn. End of chapter two of The Tavern Night, recorded by Rick Cornwall.